What is going on? Happy New Year! It is the first Canucks Talk edition of 2023. It's myself, Jamie Dodd. It's my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Drance, who of course also covers the team at the Athletic Canucks Talk, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com, live at Rogers Arena, and of course always coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. And 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Drancer, my guy. Happy New Year, buddy. What's going on, man? Happy New Year, friend. And a happy New Year to all of yes, our listeners. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's good to be back. Like It's, it's good to be, to be back. back. Uh, you know, vacations, I'm one of those vacation guys where I'm away for seven, eight days. Yep. And by day five, I'm, I'm, I got the itch. To get back to work. You're getting you antsy? Know? Uh, yeah, I get antsy. So, nice to be back chatting Canucks. Nice to be at the rink. Nice to be preparing for a game tonight. Uh, a big one. I think this is a really big game for Vancouver. Now, granted, small B. Small B big. <laughs> sure. <laughs> because we all know, I don't need to reiterate it, but I, you know, I'm not, I'm not gung-ho on Vancouver's playoff chances here. But I would call this the easiest game the Canucks have on the schedule. Until for three weeks, yeah. Like until they face the Blackhawks at home on the twenty fourth, they're facing a gauntlet, right? You've got the defending champs. You've got the Jets in Winnipeg, Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh. We know the Penguins. I know the Canucks beat the Penguins earlier this year, but like that's been a house of horrors. We've had the meltdown in Steeltown. We had the the JT Miller non-answer. Are our guys buying in? I mean, that's been a house of horrors and, and for the Canucks. Pittsburgh was scuffling when the Canucks played them as well. They've totally. played a lot better since way, then. They've really better. re-established themselves as a, a, a legit strong team. Then then you've got the Tampa Bay Lightning in Tampa, also a house of horrors for the Canucks in in recent seasons. Then the back-to-back gauntlet, Florida and North Carolina. Like, if you don't win tonight, when are you getting your next points? Yeah, there's When no, are you winning again? There's no game, and then... Even after that road trip, you come home and you're facing a bunch of the same teams. You're facing Tampa and then Colorado again and then Edmonton on a back to back. Yeah, McDavid with tired legs. Good yeah. luck. So, oh look, obviously you I mean, need you need tonight. You it, need yeah. tonight. You it, can't go into this stretch on a three game losing streak. Uh, look, we all know what I think of this team. We, you know, I don't think they're a playoff team, but I also don't think they're going to bottom out. You know, I know you. It's tempting to look at this next three weeks and be like, "This is it. This is when the Canucks enter the Bedard sweepstakes." I don't believe that. You know, like, this team's going to zig when you think they'll zag. They're going to grind out at least a few points here. I, I'm not saying they'll go 500 over this gauntlet stretch, but I won't be stunned if they do enough to, you know, stay ahead of Nashville on the back end of this three weeks, right? Like, that's that's what I expect from this team. I see them as a middling team, not a not a, a atrocious team, despite the way they look defending the rush sometimes. Yeah. So, you know, my expectation is that they're fine, but you got, you know, if you're going to do anything with these next three weeks, you absolutely have to nip it in the bud today. You have to beat the Islanders. This is sort of the most winnable game on their schedule for three weeks. So it's small B big. It feels big today at Rogers Arena. It does. And, you know, as you said, if this doesn't go the right way, you're looking at all of a sudden you start thinking, oh, man, are we going to go, you know, two and eight, something like that on this stretch. And, hey, you got to play all the games, even against really good opponents, you know, NHL games, 
There's, there's always a chance for the underdog to pull out the victory in the two points. So who knows how it's going to go, but it does set up to be very, very daunting on the schedule. Right off the bat, we have Al. Can we just get a show of Drance further cementing his themes while saying he was right the whole time? <laughs> of course, you've come to the right place, Al, in Calgary. That's what we do. Well, look, there's a lot to get into. I mean, we haven't been on – the last time we were on the air, it was – uh, we were doing Halford and Bruff, but they were coming off that 6-5 win where Elias Patterson was just absolutely sensational against Seattle. Although, although that game remains. So I, I was at a New Year's Eve party and with some buddies who were there at that game that night. And these are not particularly big Canucks fans. One's like a casual Habs fan, and the yep. other is like a big sports fan who doesn't like hockey at all. And I, I just you know asked them, I was like, can you tell that the Canucks can't defend? I asked him, my buddy who doesn't watch hockey at all, he's like, oh my God, I couldn't believe they won. <laughs> now, that's not an educated view, but let's be real. That Seattle Kraken loss, to me, was like such a, 20, such a Canucks in 2022 game where you're watching the game, you know what good hockey looks like, you know this ain't it, and yet somehow they find a way to get two points. That was like the story of the year for the Canucks, and then their luck ran out. Yeah, well, and since then it's been we've, – we've, we've used this phrase a lot covering the team recently, but it was quite literally two steps forward, two steps back, right? <laughs> Wins against Edmonton and San Jose on either side of the holiday break, and then losses against Calgary, losses – or a loss against Winnipeg first – and then Calgary, and when we last talked, they were 25th in points percentage in the NHL. Now, they are 24th, Ooh. thanks to your swooning Florida, Florida Panthers, Panthers. Yeah, which I'm, I don't expect to last. I would, I would, I'm not worried about the Panthers. The Panthers still control play at an elite, at a, an elite clip. Uh, a lot of new faces, uh, some key injuries. I don't know that Barkov's fully healthy. We, we know he's been in and out of the lineup. I'm not worried about my Panthers yet. Although they've put themselves in a position where they're going to have to heat up in a big way if they're going to get back into the playoff mix. Yeah, the question about the playoffs is one thing. The question about will they finish above the Canucks is a completely different one. And I feel very confident in predicting that they'll finish above the Canucks in the standings. Um, oh, yeah. So, you know, there's a lot to talk about, right? The game against the Islanders. Uh, we'll get into some of the JT Miller stuff. Just kind of look ahead at what some of the big stories for 2023 might be for this team and kind of falling under. We, we did miss the JT Miller discourse. We did miss it. I'm, 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 I think comfortable, it was... I'm comfortable missing it. <laughs> you know, like, I'm comfortable missing it. Like, I don't want to do the conversation where you get all, all the – sort of, like, overly machoistic, toxic, like, you guys don't know what it's like in a competitive team environment. Yeah, okay, sure. I've, I haven't worked with elite athletes for the last decade of my career. You're right. I have no idea what these guys are like. And I, I don't watch any hockey. But hold on, here's the and thing. And I can tell you, I see a ton of NHL games where a guy smacks his stick over the back of his teammate's net in frustration. That's a thing you see all the time in the NHL. You know who has spent Whatever. a lot of time in very competitive – Locker rooms, Kevin BX and Kelly Rudy. Yeah. <laughs> they have, and they didn't like what they saw either. No. So, Although anyway. BX had his back well, on BX, the... But the but, okay, we'll do a really quick JT Miller thing. The Colin Delia thing. If that was, <laughs> if that was like, oh, yeah. man, where did this come from? That was weird. That was kind of a weird one-off. Then we're having a completely different discussion. Because you're right. Hey, emotions run hot. Things boil over in public. You don't mean them to. You talk about it after, and you move on. It's the fact that it seems to be consistent, and then also aligning with, you know, it's paired with a lack of effort, a lack of apparent effort, right? That's the real issue. It's one thing to have that blow up with your teammate, and you can play it off as, hey, we're being competitive. But what BX has said on Hockey Night in Canada was, well, you have to back that up. 
you have to back that up with your effort. And then if you're if you're compounding it with a lack of effort, that's when it starts to get really concerning from a from a fan's point of view. What part of the game is most influenced by effort? Defense. What's the conversation around JT Miller at center? Yeah. Defense. No, not a coincidence, right? Like how do guys like Crosby and Bergeron dominate the game as two-way pieces? Every night, whether they feel good or not, they outwork everybody else. Mm-hmm. Right? How, how were the Twins so great for as long as they were? Every night, whether they felt great or not, they outworked everyone else. Like, it comes down to that. You want to be a great two-way player? Starts with that. There's more to it than that. There's nuances. Bergeron's not Bergeron on work right alone. But that's where it starts. Anyway, look, the JT Miller discourse, I think, is, is, is a weird one. Just because it, you can almost feel the market like turning on a player, and I hate that. It feels like a pylon. You know, and and I'm not eager to participate, even though I watch this play out and just wonder. You know, it it doesn't feel like my problem with it is that it doesn't feel like a competitive outburst or like an outburst based on on competitiveness <laughs> so much as it feels like, you know, you know, I I hesitate to say it, but it just feels like a, a guy who's maybe not fully invested at the moment. It feels like the most visible symptom of a team. I don't want to say that it's quit or that it doesn't believe or anything like that, but a team that doesn't necessarily seem to be all pulling in the one direction. There's not that buy-in that we talk about, right? And I think JT Miller and what we've seen and heard from JT Miller recently is kind of the most visible, obvious symptom. And then you pair it with the big contract, the Bull Horvat situation and all of that, and he becomes kind of a natural lightning rod for fans when they're for frustrated sure. with this team. But, but also JT Miller is a good player who can help a team win. Sure. You know, I mean, fundamentally he can it, more more so as a winger than as a center for me, in my opinion. Um, you know, do you, do you list JT Miller on, like, the five things ailing this team this season? You know, I think maybe toward the bottom end, but even then with the qualifier when he's been at center. Yeah. You know, because on the wing, he's been actually exceptional at five-on-five. Five, you, right? you look at his overall five-on-five five numbers, and they're actually pretty decent, but the caveat is that, all like about half of that time comes on Bo Horvat's wing. So right. when when they've been together, it, the results have been pretty good. Really good. It's as soon as he's getting away from Bo Horvat that has become a real problem. So you have a a solution that at least in the short term, because we'll see how much longer Bo, Bo, Bo Horvat is here, you feel like you can get some pretty good minutes uh, out of JT Miller. It, it just then the conversation becomes about the contract and going forward and all of that. Um, I did want to get into this, right? As we're looking ahead to 2023, and we started talking about you know how big the next 10 games are for the Canucks, and uh, texts along this line from Razor Ramon started to come in. And, and we got to get to this subject at some point. Uh, Razor Ramon says, why do we need points tonight? We need as few points as possible from here to the end of the year. Sorry, Hashtag we, we, Team Tank. You, you know you're singing from my hymn book there. Well, right? look. But, but you still have to take the team. Like, I still think you have to cover the team based on their own stated ambition. Oh, uh, 100%. You know? So I feel an obligation to do that even though – I'm on board. Like, But look, you and I have been talking about Connor Bedard for a while, for a long time. Like, oh, yeah. Pretty much probably since we started to do the show together, going back a little over a year now. I know Elliot Friedman made this comparison as well on uh, the Jeff Merrick show today, but you remember if you're a Hoops fan, there was the preseason like, prospect event where Victor Wembanyama just went absolutely nuts. Against and all the, of a sudden uh, it was like against the G League uh, Ignite or whatever. Yeah. And all of a sudden everyone around the NBA said, oh, we knew – we knew this guy was going to be incredible, and we were prepared to tank for him. 
But what we just saw, now we have to get like really creative. How are we going to secure our best chance at, at this guy? And it feels a lot like what we're seeing with Connor Bedard. There was no mystery. Everyone knew Connor Bedard was a phenomenal prospect, was going to go number one, was a you know a, a very like a once a decade type prospect. But now you're seeing it play out on the big stage of the World Juniors. And yes, all the caveats apply. It's one tournament. It's two weeks. Yada yada yada. It's also undeniable. The talent, the electricity, all of it of what we're seeing with Connor Bedard. And, you know, the reaction from Canucks fans, and it's it's specific to this market in a way, as much as all of the teams that are, you know, don't fancy themselves Stanley Cup contenders are having conversations about, okay, should we be in the mix for Connor Bedard? It's obviously unique to the Canucks because of the fact that Connor Bedard is from the market and is a massive fan of the franchise. You know, I've seen some kind of pessimism from Canucks fans, right? Like, oh, they're not going to make the playoffs, but they're too good to be in the mix for Connor Bedard. And in a sense, I get that because, yeah, they're not going to be worse than Anaheim. They're not going to be worse than Chicago or Columbus. But sitting here today, right now, Canucks, ninth worst record in the NHL, okay? That gives them a 5% chance of Connor Bedard. I'll take that. I mean, I'll take that. Okay, would you rather have that or a 13% chance of making the first round, which is what I believe the Canucks' odds are today? 5% chance of Connor Bedard, no doubt about it. So here's the all odds. It's really not a hard decision. Look, you can. We had made the case that at different points that they should be more proactive in chasing Connor Bedard because of the incredibly unique circumstances. Like, there's never been a prospect this perfect for the Vancouver Canucks. Never. Since they've come into the league. There may never be again, right? Like, checks all of the boxes you could possibly want for this team. The thing is, it's not over. Just because you didn't make those proactive moves, it is not over. Connor Bedard to the Vancouver Canucks is a live possibility. Now, should you still make some moves to, to more proactively secure your chances? Yes, because the thing is, I said they were ninth worst in the NHL right now. You have to be bottom 11. You have to be bottom 11 to even have a chance to jump up to, even snip to first overall. Right? So that's like job number one. you got to finish in the bottom 11. Beyond that, you know, even if they were to finish with the fifth worst record, that gives them an 8.5% chance. Okay, that's a nice odds boost, but it's not worlds different than 5%. You kind of just got to be where you are. Well, especially because you can't get up to 20. You know, you, you, at this point, the team is like – the team's – so. In the NHL, you have to work to be great, and you have to work to be bad. Yep. It's a hard cap league, right? It's hard to suck. It's truly hard to be as bad as you need to be to be at the top of the lottery. But you're right. It smooths out. The difference between being fifth and ninth is is slim. It's very slim. It's still worth chasing. Oh, sure. Like, you would rather have the eight and a half, obviously. But it's not, oh, well, what are we going to do? We have no chance of getting him now. So, two things. First of all, I want to check back in on this one point we were talking about before Bedard. So I'm, first I'm going to digress, and then I want to okay, follow okay. up on your point. Um, Bo Horvat and JT Miller together uh, this season, okay, 11 goals for, 13 against. Yeah. So minus two. JT Miller without Bo Horvat at 5-on-5. Five five. This is all at 5-on-5. Five five. Four goals for. Oof. That's wild. I don't even know what the against number is going to be, but the more concerning one is the goals for. Well, it's, it's, it's 11. That's bad, too. It's, nah, 11 in 36 but games the you more, can live with. The more concerning thing is the four. It's Because, remember, hockey's not a game of raw numbers. You scored six goals. Yay! You lost 7-6. Yep. Oh. <laughs> you know, like, it's a game of ratios. It's not a game of, I mean, realistically, they're being scored uh, outscored at a rate of 1-4. to four. With Miller on the ice without Horvat this season, that's a problem. 
You know, there's no, there's nothing you can say that makes that less of a problem. As for Bedard, as for the draft lottery, right? So here's the main thing for me about the Bedard thing. One is, Bedard's the carrot, but realistically, draft as high as you can. Yeah. Draft as high as you can. It's way more impactful for this team to draft as high as they can than it would be for them to miss the playoffs by four points instead of eight. You know, like, that's what matters. What's going to matter down the line? It's that they got as high in the draft order as they could. And even if you end up at eight, there's still really good players available, right? Zach Benson's going to be around probably mm-hmm. in, in the later stages of the top ten. And there's a real shot that he's the second or third best forward drafted in this class, right? Mitchkov could fall because of the contractual issues. Well, that's great. That guy, that guy's could have been. A, that guy probably would have had near generational buzz himself, if not for a contract status and political realities well outside of his control. Mm-hmm. Right? That's a special, special player. You know. Now, Canucks fans though are fatalistic, especially when oh. it comes to the oh, yeah. draft lottery. So, how it works is if the Canucks ever had the best lottery odds, for example, right? And then didn't win the lottery, which, by the way, is the most likely oh, outcome. Far and away, the most likely. Like, outcome. like you're you're in with a one in five shot yeah. at the absolute best draft lottery odds in the mix, right? Of course, the Canucks didn't win, right? They'd say as if it was a zero percent chance, yeah, right. But it's not. It's a twenty percent chance. And the draft lottery, I've been in the room where the draw happens. It's legit. It's legit. You know, I would tell you if it wasn't. <laughs> as far as I can tell. Having been in the room for the drawing, having seen it with my cell phone, you know, taken from me before before it happened, like it's as it's as legit codified as possible. And so, yeah, get in, get in with the best possible odds you you have, and whether you win it or not, and you're most likely to not win it, right? By far, overwhelmingly unlikely that the Canucks ever get to have Connor Bedard wear their jersey, except when he's watching the games. <laughs> Um, overwhelmingly likely that they will never not win the draft lottery this year. But there's a spillover benefit too, which is that you get to draft earlier on in the first round and then on and on throughout the draft order, right? The benefits that accrue to really bad teams accrue in a powerful way. It's a it's a true dynamic yeah. that helps you get better. And this te- this uh, text came in. Mark and White Rock says, "What do you mean? Not much difference between finishing with the ninth worst record or the fifth worst." Bedard aside, the fifth overall pick is better than the ninth. Absolutely correct. I was speaking in terms of odds of jumping up to first overall. But you're right. There's it's not as if it's useless uh, to finish farther down the standings, even if you don't get Bedard. There are still benefits. There's absolutely to it. a world too where Mitchkov falls. Yeah. Like, there is, that is absolutely on the table. I mean, he's not going to be able to play in any of these U tournaments while mm-hmm. Russia remains at war. Um, you know, like, he's under-scouted at this point, right? Like, there's there's an awful lot working against him, and he's a genuine elite talent. Like, he'd be, he'd be probably the most highly touted prospect this organization has drafted, including Pedersen and Hughes, like, you probably dating back to the Twins, yeah. To be totally honest, oh, no with doubt, you. absolutely. He so, and and there's a real world where you could get him at five or six. It takes work to get there, though. Well, right? and here's the thing. And Dan in Fort St. John texts in: the Canucks should be trading Horvat today. His value is at an all-time high, and it will help secure the best pick possible. Never mind the fact that if they hold him, he probably ends up injured at the deadline. There's some of that Canucks fatalism you're talking about coming in from Dan in Fort St. John. And here's the, the great thing, right? Even Okay, the Canucks have already set aside Connor Bedard. Imagine that this draft year was a, a draft year with no clear-cut number one. 
you know, it was the the it was the Ryan Nugent Hopkins draft or whatever, right? Where you're saying, okay, that's a nice player, but it's not going to change our franchise's direction. Even if that was the case, the Canucks have walked themselves into a situation where, far and away, the most logical move is to trade Bo Horvat. To trade Bo Horvat before the deadline because you've put yourself in a position where you're not going to be able to extend him. You can't let him walk to UFA. He's got incredible value around the league, and you need to capitalize on that, and you need to get those assets back, right? Again, completely independent from Connor Bedard. That's the situation the Canucks find themselves in with Bo Horvat. The great news is it also helps you with regards to Connor Bedard. You don't even have to do something that's completely out of left field, no. right? You don't have to say, oh, man, we would never normally consider doing this, but because of Bedard, I guess we'll have to think about it. That's not the case. The best thing you could do to help your pursuit of Connor Bedard also makes total logical sense completely independent from Bedard. So, yeah, man, if there's a trade out there that makes sense for Bo Horvat this week, you got to think about pulling the trigger on it. The problem that you're going to run into is the cap, right? I mean, cap space tolls if you're not an LTI. There are teams that would be far better positioned to make that sort of deal in a month and a half than they are today. And uh, particularly when you're talking about a player like Bo Horvat, who comes at a five-plus million-dollar ticket, right? That's uh, that's got to be a factor. Uh, Luke Shen would be another one, right? Like Luke Shen's a deal that this team might have to do anyway. Mm-hmm. And yet, when you look at sort of like how do you wait getting worse by dealing Luke Shen, which is like very much at the margins. It's you know, it's uh, you're not going to fall apart. Def- no, it's not. It's not like this team can fall apart defensively yeah. any further. Right? Who's going to kill penalties for you? <laughs> My how, goodness. How, how much farther, how much below 32nd can you go? <laughs> but is it worth making that deal proactively to juke your odds for Bedard versus maximizing your return yeah. for Shen by waiting until well, the, the time is Shen right. is the classic player who you're going to get the most for him on deadline day. Right, like that—that that we see it all the time with that depth defenseman comes around to deadline day, and all of a sudden you say, "Holy cow, that guy! That guy went for that much." That is the exact type of player that we're talking about with Luke Shen. Horvat is more interesting because of the caliber of player he is. I wonder if, even with the salary cap situation, and I think in the next couple of weeks, you're going to start to see maybe it open up just a little bit that you can do that deal proactively. And feel like if you're sacrificing the return at all, it's not very much. And that justifies doing it knowing that the ultimate kind of carrot, the ultimate reward of Connor Bedard is out there. And really, when we talk about, you know, the potential moves that the Canucks could do to dramatically weaken their team, I mean, that's it. It's the Bohorvat trade, right? Like, that, that's realistically what we're talking about. I know Thatcher Demko was skating without gear today. You know, Bruce Boudreaux was saying maybe he'll be on the trip with them on the weekend. Who knows what but, his... But you slow play that return. Absolutely. You know, like, you slow play that return, you get... If you... I mean, look, if you deal Bo Horvat, that's a needle-moving move. Oh, yeah. Move. Especially like that... with the, the team's center depth and how much JT Miller has struggled at center, and all of a sudden, if that's a fixture in your top six, right, like, and the knock-on effects that has... You're right. That that's the thing that, that could that really harm you. That could really harm you. So, you know, I think that's if you if you want to get in on it, that's the first move. For sure. Uh, in addition to slow playing Demko's return. Like really slow playing it. Even sending him down to Utica, which oh, or sorry, Utica, Abbotsford, which uh, Bruce Boudreaux suggested wouldn't be his preference today. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but, you know, you, you get him the conditioning stint. You, you literally take as much time as possible. Because this is the other thing. You know, we, we talk about a lot. You know, you look at those lottery teams, right? Who Who's Vancouver behind that you realistically think they are for sure going to pass, right? I mean, Florida, we think, is going to pass them. Yep. The Islanders, who they'll play tonight, like, I think they have a real chance of winning today. But I also think the Islanders are better in terms of true talent, particularly once they get, you know, Pelic, Palmieri, uh, some of those guys back, Varlamov. Uh, St. Louis, I mean, I think St. Louis well, is a better team. Here, I'll run it down. Here are the teams between the Canucks and the playoff bar. So the teams that are in the lottery but have a better record than the Canucks. St. Louis, Ottawa, Nashville, Buffalo, Edmonton, Detroit, Islanders. I, I don't look at any of those teams and say, oh, the Canucks are definitely going to pass them. No. Could, could happen, but I don't see it necessarily. It definitely could happen with Demko playing the way Demko can. Yeah. Right? With with. With Demko out of the mix, I think you've got, you know, and, and for me, like, I would say Martin and Delia have held the fort in terms of evaluating their play, right? Mm-hmm. Like, maybe Martin's been good for a, for a tough goal against a game, but guess what? That's what average goaltending looks like, right? What can really meaningfully alter this team's ceiling, what can make this team the sort of club where you begin to discuss, you know, their, their um, comparables is like the Jets and the Kraken and the Kings is – Hey, they have one of the best goalies in the world, right? Without without that logic, this team can absolutely contend. Not not for inside the bottom five, but no. on the fringes of it. Yeah. And so you know, slow play Demko. You deal Horvat. You consider dealing Shen, but but I think that would be lower priority. I mean, I I think there's a real world where this team can get into that mix. And honestly, what 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 matters more? I mean, it's impossible for me to think that the health of this current club matters more than taking your absolute best shot at the generational Lynn Valley sniper who cried for a week after your team lost the cup final. I really don't think it's possible to overstate the impact drafting Connor Bedard would have on this team and everything it would mean for the team. And if they're even if you're just moving the needle by one and a half percent for your chances to draft him, that's huge. That is absolutely enormous. And you've seen the talent on display, and you got to think about what you can do to make that a reality. I know we're going to go to break, but isn't it amazing how seeing him dominate at this tournament like this has made this prospect tangible? Like, we've talked about it, but it's felt remote to people. Yep, it's been it theoretical. Didn't, it didn't feel pressing, and now you see him every night just crushing it in Halifax, and the conversation has taken on a level of urgency uh, in Canucks online spaces. Like the top, the top post on our Canucks right now on the Reddit page, uh, it's it's about Scott Bedard. Bedard, and it's like got hundreds, hundreds upon hundreds of upvotes. No, you couldn't. I mean, <laughs> how can you watch the tournament and not think about it and not let your mind wander to that possibility? He has been absolutely phenomenal at the World Juniors. Lots more coming up. I want to look ahead to 2023 a little bit, what to expect. I want to talk about some of the, uh, or two of the Canucks prospects at the World Juniors and their performance as well. We'll look ahead to the game against the Islanders. 650-650, of course, with the Dunbar Lumber text line. Lots of feedback coming in. We'll read some of your texts. It is Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance, live at Rogers Arena. 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative is at Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online 
at DunbarLumber.com. We'll, uh, we'll look ahead to tonight's matchup with the New York Islanders. Hear from Bruce Boudreau at some point during the show. Gemma Carson-Smith will join us, uh, make her first appearance of the new year for Off the Wire at 1 o'clock. Uh, lots of great texts coming in. You know, as you mentioned, Canucks fans and, uh, and fatalism and pessimism go together extremely well. This one comes in unsigned. The most likely scenario for the Canucks is to finish 12th or so in the standings, 12th from worst in the standings, uh, then win the lottery and end up picking third. I think it would actually be second if they were 12th worst, but still, and this texture says, which would still be great, but also very funny. It would be funny. <laughs> it would be funny. You'd still be getting a great player, uh, but it would, it would be funny to win the lottery and then end up only jumping up to second and not even get Connor Bedard. <laughs> that would be such a Canucks outcome. That would be the most – like, you're still thrilled. You're still getting a phenomenal player. Oh, yeah. No. It's... But it would – the, 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 You've <laughs> the won mix the of emotions would be absolutely phenomenal in that case. Well, look, you you know what? Get, get close to the top and empty the – and empty the canister, right? Like yeah. em- fire all weapons to try and trade up. I will say it's so not easy to do. At, but. So, at some point in December, um, somebody texted into our show. Would you trade? And I think it was like I read the text right at the end of the show, and it was. And would, I, you, would you trade Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes for Connor Bedard? And I said yes without blinking. And but I said no. No, you didn't say no, but you said you had to think about it. You said you were going to think about it. <laughs> and uh, I've thought about I just kind of dropped it and I was like yeah absolutely and then we signed off and I didn't even really see the reaction but I know that I think it came up on Canuck Central on one of their mailbag episodes and I checked the inbox during it and there was a lot of pushback like what are you talking about he could be a, you can't give up on established players that take looks pretty good right now but here's the thing and the other thing I said to the texture asked that question is yes I would do it but there is 0.0 chance that the team holding the first overall pick does that. Now, if you have second overall, whatever, we can get into it. But first overall pick's not changing hands. It's not changing hands. The team that gets it is drafting Connor Bedard. One would think. So, I don't know. One would think. Although, although man, there's got to be an Arizona factor here. What a shame that would be. Oh, that'd be tough. That'd be very, very tough. We'll see. We'll we'll see where it goes. Yeah, that the lottery is going to be very interesting. Um, six fifty, six fifty. You can keep your thoughts coming in quickly before we move on from the World Juniors. Uh, a couple of Canucks prospects of note, obviously playing for Team Sweden, Jonathan Lekarimaki, and uh, the defenseman Elias Pettersson. Uh, very different tournaments for the two, right? Obviously, Lekarimaki, the first overall pick or the first round pick, fifteenth overall, uh, first first round draft pick for this management. Regime. We've talked about his health struggles since then, his struggles on the ice uh, in his regular season, and that has continued Drancer to this tournament with uh, with Team Sweden so far. So, Lekaramaki got benched yesterday, about midway through the game. Yeah. Um, you know, Lekaramaki's been having a concerning season anyway, you know, so I think if he'd performed really well, really well, it would be more like hey, it's great to see him get his game on track. But I don't think it was reasonable, considering he was coming off of a concussion, considering he's been ill for much of the season, and considering his form has been lacking, right? Like, he moved down a league this year with his team to the Allsvenken, and he's performed far worse Mm -hmm. in the Allsvenken than he did in the SHL last season. Um, At this point, you're sort of within the industry, and I've been chatting with some of my contacts in amateur scouting who happen to be in Halifax. Um, you know, the size 
is a concern. Not not necessarily just because of his size, but because he doesn't play bigger than it. Right. Right. Um, skating. A lot of people. A lot of people say it looks a little bit average. Uh, singular dimension to his game is something that I hear a lot and a lot more. I think within the amateur ranks, there's this increasing view that players with a singular dimension, particularly if it's a shooting dimension coming out of their junior careers are increasingly seen as like risky bets. Mm -hmm. Teams like more well-rounded production these days from, from their junior, uh, from amateur players. And, and that makes sense. I think when you consider like some of the lottery picks who profiled like this in recent years, I mean, Tolvanen fell, but Tolvanen would be an example. He, of course, was claimed off waivers uh, just a couple weeks ago. Kiefer Bellows would be sort of another guy in that in that mold. Owen Tippett, mm-hmm. who has, has sort of struggled to uh, find that goal-scoring form in the NHL. Jake Vertanen, to use a loaded local example, right? The, the shoot-first junior player doesn't necessarily um, project as well, translate as well to the NHL, right? You have to be such a special shooter for that skill to translate against NHL goalies and against NHL defensive structure. And if you can't solve problems as a playmaker, as, as an overall multi-dimensional offensive threat, are you going to be able to succeed the same way in the NHL? And increasingly people in the industry are sort of saying, no, this was my one concern with Lekaramaki, I'm sure you remember in the lead mm-hmm. up to the draft. Um, you know, we, we had a pretty good sense that he was a player of interest to the Canucks. The Canucks, I think, viewed him as a home run swing. I like that approach. Um, but, you know, the fact is is that it hasn't been happening for him this season. It's now been about six months in which his struggles have been pronounced. Uh, so he's sort of looking like a feast or famine prospect, and right now uh, it's not a good harvest. So yeah. all of this said, all of this said, and I, I want to be very careful. Guys in his draft plus one year. The team took a home run swing. If you ask Patrick Alvin about it, he will tell you development's not a sprint, it's a marathon, right? There's still a ton of skill there. I liked the pick when it was made. I haven't changed my tune on it, but the performance hasn't been something that's caught the eye uh, of evaluators within the industry. Do you want to do you want to chime in before I get to Patterson? Well, the thing is, you're will, at this tournament at, at this stage, not just in this tournament, but we're at, whenever he's playing hockey with Lekaramaki, you're wanting to see the first positive steps, right? It's not going to be he was never going to come in and be the star of the tournament, as you said, based on his form and everything going on. But you want to see, okay, he's getting back on the right track. He's starting to look like the guy who was projected to go in the top ten in a lot of drafts, right? Like that's where he was. A lot of people expected him to go. It was a bit of a surprise to see him still on the board at fifteen. For the Canucks. And the other thing that just really strikes me is it's really hard to come in as a new general manager and miss on your first. And I'm not saying it's a miss yet, right? I'm no, not saying not. it's a miss. It's just trending down. It's not, it hasn't started how you want. And it's just when you're a new general manager, if you don't hit a home run on that first first round pick, it makes your job really difficult because then you don't have that cheap, young, high upside guy coming to kind of bolster your team in a couple of years. And not just to bolster your team, but that you can point to and kind of say, that's my guy, right? That's what I'm contributing to this team by selecting that player. It makes it really tough. And it's been a very tough, not just for LeCare Mackey, but you know, you, you add him to all of the other tough things that have happened 
not for the Canucks as a team on the ice even, but for the management, right, with the Bo Horvat situation, with the JT Miller signing and, and how that's unfolded in the court of public opinion, the Bruce Boudreaux saga. It's just a lot has started to kind of pile up, and there's still, much like with LeCaramacchi, still tons of time to turn it around, right? Still lots of things that can go right, that can change. It's just tough to see it another thing kind of go that way for the management. And we haven't talked about it as much this season as we might have if things had been more placid on the surface, right? It's like there's been so much churn that we haven't even got to the way that the industry is looking at LeCaramacchi six, seven months in, you know, after his (laughs) draft where, you know, again, every, everyone knows that you have to be patient. LeCaramacchi would still have a lot of like value in a trade. There's other teams that would like to hold that lottery ticket. But he's definitely being looked at as a guy with some potential to not live up to what was expected of him in his draft year. Um, All of this said, some credit is due on mining Elias Pettersson. Elias Pettersson 2. The other Elias Pettersson. Repeaty, as I know they call him (laughs) on Canucks Talk. Size, gets in the way, just enough skill to handle some pressure. Nothing flashy, nothing exciting. I haven't heard anyone who's like, hey, I'm seeing top four potential. But looks like a guy who could profile to be a five six seven. Looks like a guy with an NHL future. Looks like a guy who's developing very nicely. And as much as I've heard a lot of concern out of Halifax in the industry about LeCaramacchi, I've heard a lot of people be pretty impressed with what they've seen out of Elias Patterson. Again, muted, right? We're not talking about like a high-end blue line prospect. I would slow your roll on that. Not a dynamic offensive game, right? And and there's limitations that come with that in the contemporary NHL. But, you know, what's hard to find? A two-way defender who can move and handle pressure. Like, that That ain't easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are not a lot of guys in the league right now whose calling card is defense on the back end. This guy looks like a guy who's might be. And he's won some admirers uh, with how he's performed. Here's, here's a question I want to get to. Well, and I'll, the one thing okay. I'll say about that is... Sometimes you hear, you know, oh, this guy doesn't really profile as a top six or a top four, and it's read as a slam on the player. But your prospect pipeline's got to be, ideally, is producing fifth, sixth defensemen, bottom bottom six players, right? So you don't have to go out and solve that problem elsewhere. You don't have to spend other assets or cap space or whatever to solve those problems. If you can be filling them internally, that's really important. So I don't think, you know, you shouldn't read that as a, or people shouldn't hear that as a dig at the player. If he establishes himself ever as like a fifth defenseman in the NHL, a good fifth defenseman, that's a huge win, drafting in the third round. Anyways. Well, we have to, you know, you've, you've hit on something that I actually want to talk about more than I was going to read a Tanvir text, <laughs> despite myself. Um, the rate, the rate at which you need to be, landing NHLers, like if you're going to function in the cap era, right? In the contemporary cap era, you effectively need to be mining from the amateur ranks. And and I want to be clear, that's not just the draft. That's also European free agency. That's also, you kind of need to be mining like a couple of players a year. Honestly, if you're going to maintain your status as a good team with the pressures that come with the cap era with like if you're Carolina and you're losing Dougie Hamilton mm-hmm. and then Vincent Trocheck year over year, how do you stay at the top? Right. The only way is that you have um, Marty Nietzsche graduating. Right. You have Seth Jarvis graduating. You have 
that goaltender, uh, yeah. Kachekov. Kachekov, yeah. Right? You have you uh, on and on. Like, you have those guys coming up and, and filling out your system. You know, you look at even a team like uh, Toronto, right, where you're able to withstand the loss of Morgan Riley because you've got Rasmus Sandin, right? You've got a fourth-line center ready to go in Pontus Holmberg. So you're able to, you know, move on from guys like uh, – how, how do you replace – how do you lose Zach Hyman and Ilya Mikheyev year after year, year over year, and still be good, mm-hmm. right? Like, it, it ain't easy. And and the, the rate at which you need to be producing NHL players from, your, from within, if you're going to exist, cope with the inevitable losses that, that happen as you build a good team, like, you, need, you almost need two new guys a year who come in and hit affordably and provide a reliable source of year over year cheap. It's... it's extraordinary the the bar now is so extraordinarily high to stay good to have the sort of talent that you need and so that's a real challenge and and i think that you know puts a so now i'll get to tanbeer's text because tanbeer texts in um has klimovich surpassed lecker amaki as canucks top prospect i don't think so i would i would say no particularly because you know i know it's been a little bit better for Danila Klimovich of late. He's been on a heater. He's been on a heater. Yeah. But, I mean, we're still talking about a guy who's, you know, got 33 points and 14 goals in 87 in AHL games. Granted, it's it's happened as an 18 and a 19-year-old. So, you know, you, you have to look at it a little bit differently, right? If he'd been playing in the queue, we're probably talking about a 100-point guy. Yeah. But, you know there's still a lot of development that needs to happen there. Klimovich is still a raw, raw prospect. Um, there's a there's a ton that needs to happen there. And meanwhile, we're going to see tonight, probably, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what the status of Cal Clutterbuck and, and Kyle Palmieri is coming out of the Islanders' availability since we were up here by the time Lane Lambert talked to the media. But, you know, we're going to see uh, Atu Ratti. Atu Ratu, excuse me, play for the Atu Islanders Ratti. today. No, it's, it's Ratu. It's pronounced. Oh, okay. Yeah. Excuse me. Um, and, uh, you know, not to mention the guy we're seeing playing with Connor Bedard at the moment and Logan Stankoven, right? Like, what do you think the value is of a Logan Stankoven versus a Daniela Klimovich? Like, come on. Come on. You know, like, this team's drafting has been a, a concern for several years, certainly since they made some changes right before the 2020 NHL entry draft. And you look through what's sort of come since, right? The Yoni Yermo pick coming ahead of, um, what's the local kid? Uh, Sordiff, Justin mm-hmm. Sordiff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Klimovich ahead of Matthew Nyes and, and Ratu and... And Stankoven. And Stankoven. And, and there's more <laughs> names than that, too. Um, management made changes to the scouting staff, but one of the industry's reaction when those happened was, it, it, did they go far enough? was sort of one of the big questions. Were there sufficient changes considering this organization's draft history? Um, We'll see. We'll see. Because whether this team goes up or whether they go down, how you draft, how you replace players, how you identify talent, right, is going to determine the success of that project. Uh, You've seen some nice work with Kuzmenko, with Neil Zaman. They brought in Scott Young, who's got a stellar track record out of the NCAA. So, you know, there's... there's... Yeah, and I, I will say, even beyond Klimovich, there's some interesting performances happening at Abbotsford. Like, Carlson is having a really successful... Linus Carlson's having a really yep. successful uh, first year in North America. So there are... And, you know, that wasn't 
a free agent per se, but it was another guy bringing they're bringing over from Europe this year. There are signs of, as you said, not necessarily the the home runs, like Kuzmenko falls into that, but just that constant churn of okay, guys who could fill a role for you, guys who could do something helpful for you anywhere on your roster uh, that you need to be able to have on a reliable basis uh, right now in the NHL. Yeah, and so you know. We'll, I, I just to, to sort of cap this off, right? This team needs a lot more talent in their pipeline, right? We all know this. This isn't a secret. Uh, I think this is one area where, you know, I've liked much of what I've seen, particularly out of Europe. Uh, the college pursuit was a little dicey. The Aiden McDonough situation remains one. Like, I want to I talk about this really quickly because right. me and Rick reported a little bit over the holidays about it. But, like, structurally structurally once a player is a senior they have options right i'm always of the opinion that if a, if you try to sign a guy in their junior season and they decline to join your team mm-hmm. they immediately become a huge risk and it's not anything about mcdonough i know mcdonough said the right things but the moment that happens it's a red flag for me like i would i would strongly suggest that the organization would be best off. Again, they have a better grasp of their relationship with the player. I have no cause to believe that the organization's nervous about this in any way. But my view of my view just from a risk management perspective, right? You know who else said all the right things? Jimmy Vesey. Yeah. Right? Like the moment a player becomes a senior, get what you can. Get what you can. That's my that's my personal view of it. And that's sort of an asset that we haven't talked about a lot. Haven't discussed a lot. He, he might not move the needle at the NHL level, but but he's definitely, you know, if if he signs, he's probably a top five prospect for this organization as they stand right now. Unfortunately, in my view anyway, the moment a guy declines to sign with you and goes back to college for their senior season, they're a risk structurally and, and something that you might have to consider monetizing before you get burned. Well, I mean, he falls into the same category in a, in a way as uh, as the defenseman Elias Pettersson, right? Where it's like, okay, maybe who knows how much he's going to end up moving the needle for you at the NHL level, but he's an asset. He's an asset. He's a guy in your pipeline. You need – you just need the accumulation of guys who, you know, individually only have whatever, you know, a 2% chance of really becoming something or moving the needle. But you add up enough of those players and you're going to get – some hits that that matter for you and it's kind of like uh well he is really i mean he's a pending ufa and what has this management group talked about with the pending ufas at the nhl level it's we're not in a position to lose them for nothing that's not something we can afford to do and i think the same applies to aiden mcdonough now as you said look the team they're going to be going through the process they're going to be in touch with the player they obviously will have a sense of where that situation is headed but you're absolutely right that once you become a senior, the ball is in your court, right? You you control the process. You control where it's going to go. And it's at least something they need to monitor when you think about the work they still need to do, uh, the work they've started, but the, that they still need to do to kind of rebuild their prospect pipeline. More Canucks talk is coming up. We'll hear from Bruce Boudreaux a little bit later in the show. But up next, our pal joins us every week on the show, uh, covers the Canucks for the Canadian Press, Gemma Carstens-Smith. It is Canucks talk here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650 with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Your 
All-Star Team Avenue Machinery.ca, DouglasLakeEquipment.com, live at Rogers Arena, and always coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. And, of course, 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Gemma Carson-Smith from the Canadian Press will join us momentarily here. We'll run through some of the uh, most interesting Canucks sound bites of the week. Uh, haven't talked to Gemma for a little while, so I, I don't know how far back we're going to go here. But, as always, there's no shortage of interesting Canucks. There are some good <laughs> sound bites. Through. JT Miller really did us a solid in that regard. <laughs> Anyways, uh, and as mentioned, she joins us every week here on the program. Does a great job covering the Canucks for the Canadian press. She is Gemma Carsten-Smith. Gemma, Happy New Year. How are you? Happy New Year, my friends. It's, uh, it was so nice of JT Miller to give us the gift of his comments yesterday. Yeah. How, how many How many of the sound bites are JT Miller, Gemma? So I limited it to one, but it was <laughs> Good actually for you. Good for you. It was hard to do. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, more self-control than I exercise this holiday season. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll, uh, we'll get right into it then, Gemma. I mean, I, first on the list is JT Miller. He has been an absolute flashpoint of conversation, not just here in Vancouver, nationally on Hockey Net in Canada as well. What are we going to hear from the Canucks forward? Yeah, so I know there were some um, thoughts in terms of his comments yesterday, and I thought maybe we should talk about those a little bit. Uh, let's listen to uh, what exactly he had to say about how he's been performing as a center. The last couple of weeks I've been playing really well at center. I mean, I'd like to say that my lack of production is a compliment to me not cheating the game and playing the right way. You know, I haven't been on for a lot against and, you know, played a lot of hard matchups in there and thought everything was coming along in the right direction. It's, it's a little tricky when you're bouncing around on every line here, like every on a nightly basis, but, um, you know, I feel really comfortable there. There's a lot to get into there. A lot to get into there. <laughs> Gemma, a lot of interesting claims. What stands out to you most uh, about J.T. Miller's commentary? Okay, so I want to preface this with the fact that Miller was always going to have a rough season. It was always going to be tough to top the 99-point performance they had yep. last year. And we know that he's really been under the microscope since signing this $56 million deal. I don't know what radio money is like, but I know print money is not $56 million <laughs> over. <laughs> it, it, that's just not how it goes. So... Uh, we we know that it was always going to be tough for him, but like I think he's a little bit surprised by his his performance this season. I've been surprised. It's it's been like his worst season yet as a Canuck, and moving him around from the wing to the center, trying him with different guys, nothing seeming to spark him. Now let's get into what he had to say. The fact that he thinks he's doing pretty well is really interesting. I don't know if he's saying that just for the cameras or if he actually believes it. But the comment that like I found quite baffling was that I haven't been on for much again. Not only is it he a team worth dash 13, but we've all seen the defensive gaps, the turnovers, the lack of back check, et cetera. Like, it's really obvious. So I'm not sure if he's being completely oblivious or he just like really doesn't want to talk about it. Well, and Gemma, you know, one of the big talking points around the Canucks this year has been the idea of accountability, right? And we've seen some high-profile players be healthy scratched or be almost healthy scratched. Others maybe haven't been subject to that same accountability. And I think, you know, one, one of my readings on because this got a really intense reaction from fans yesterday on social media, right? When they saw what JT Miller had to say, a really intensely negative reaction. And I think a lot of it comes down to the sense that there's a lack of accountability from the player about his performance recently. Well, and he 
seemingly expects others to be accountable. Um, we we all saw the stick smash heard around the league. Yep. Um, so it's interesting that he's trying to hold others accountable and does not appear to be accountable himself. Um, I think that's what's what part of what at least people are finding so egregious about JT Miller is that he he hasn't been really dropped down the lineup. Um, who knows what the lines look like tonight, but I'm going to guess he's not going to be a fourth liner. He's, mm-hmm. he's still JT Miller. Um, it's, it's the, the most accountability we've seen in terms of JT Miller um, being held back in play was the one game rating in OT shift. And he said that he didn't deserve OT shift. He seemed to really fit. Then we're just back to the same old, same old. So I don't know what needs to happen, but I think that there does need to be accountability, not only in the in Boudreaux and the rest of the team holding him accountable, but in him holding himself accountable as well. Gemma, when when you look at JT Miller's season, right? I mean, I, I sort of brought this up in the previous segment, but he's played, you know, two hundred ish minutes on Horvat's wing, and in those minutes, um, you know, it's thirteen goals against in the 200 or 300 minutes he's played center uh, away from Horvat, it's it's only 11 goals a game. So it's like a pretty comparable rate, whether he's been on the wing or at center. It, it, do you think he's just sort of slicing the data up in his mind? Like, obviously, he's not looking at the data in that way. But do you think he's just slicing the data up in his mind and sort of being like, hey, there haven't been that many goals when I'm at center and, and is really just taking it quite literally? Yeah, I think that's entirely possible. I, I honestly do. I think that um, he, we don't know a whole ton, I don't know a whole ton about JT Miller away from his time as a, away from his role as a hockey player. He's not someone who really lets us into his world. Uh, he's a pretty private guy, doesn't really want to chit-chat in the locker room or any of that kind of stuff. Um, and I but my sense is that he takes a lot of things quite literally. So it would not surprise me to see him take, um, like you said, Drent, uh, take the center role and the left wing role or the wing role quite literally, literally. And, and really, like you said, split that data. I, it wouldn't surprise me at all. That said, you have to take, as a player, you have to be more holistic, I think. Um, and you have to, to recognize that it's not just goals, uh, whether that be goals for or goals against. And the defensive gaps have been on the wing. The defensive gaps have been at center. His back check issues have been all over the ice. Like it's, it's strange to me that he would make those comments, even if he was splitting the two roles. As you said, it was always going to be difficult for JT Miller to match the 99-point season from last year. I don't think anyone was really realistically expecting him to do that. But, you know, as much as we're talking about some of the defensive issues, some of the performance at center, the back-checking and all of that, you know, his 5-on-5 offensive production is way, way down. Like, more than just what you would expect from some normal regression after a career year is that maybe even more concerning when we look at, you know, him going into year one of of a new deal next year? Yes. The answer is yes. That is concerning. Um, and we've also seen the, that he's, he's getting these stretches of um, fallow periods. 
I would say. Like, he, he's three games without a point right now. Um, and it's not the first time this season that he's he's gone uh, several games in a row without uh, without a point. He, yeah, he had those two goals uh, against Edmonton back on the 23rd, but I'm just looking at his game log right now, and before that, his last goal was November 26th. So he went almost a month without a single goal. Yeah, he's putting up some assists during that stretch, but it's, it is concerning that he's not producing at a higher clip concerning what's coming down the pipe. And, you know, Gemma, last thing on JT Miller, at least for me here, but he's coming off that 99-point season. I think it's safe to say that certainly before he signed the extension, you know, approval of JT Miller amongst Canucks fans was very, very high after his performance last season and especially after how the team performed under Bruce Boudreau. Now you see the reaction, you see the negativity surrounding JT Miller from fans are you surprised at all that it's it's turned around or it seems to have turned around so quickly? And, I mean, what do you think that means, if anything, for, for JT Miller and the rest of his tenure with the Canucks? Two things. I think in this market, it is not surprising. In any other market, it would be surprising. Um, this is <laughs> the most critical market I've ever seen. Uh, and it's because the fans are so passionate, because they care so much about this team, because they're, <laughs> they're so desperate for winning. And... They just need something. So when 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 there's a villain, they are going to pounce on that villain, whether that villain is uh, the ownership, whether that villain is management, or whether that villain is as it is right now, JT Miller. Second thing, JT Miller does not care. I can tell you that. As right. I know, I just said that he doesn't let us into his personal life, but. He does not care what fans think. Remember um, the first game of the season, the Buffalo game, or the first home game of the season, the Buffalo game, when he was asked about the jerseys being tossed on the end, he was like, people want to throw the stuff that they buy, that's up to them. I really and truly think that's how he feels. I think that he separates himself from from that aspect of the game, which is interesting because he he's also this very emotional player, and we see that frustration come out in him. So maybe he actually does care, but... Um, expresses it in a way that embraces that kind of villain role, maybe? Is that a better way to put it? I, I, I just don't think that being the villain bothers him. Gemma, do you think the discourse around Miller has almost turned into a pylon? Like, are, are we past the point where it's fair or productive? 100%, yes. Yeah. Um, that is why I left it at one clip today. <laughs> um, I know we, we could have done this entire segment with JT Miller quotes from the last couple of weeks, and I just didn't think that that was going to be useful in any way, shape, or form. I think that at this point, we know who JT Miller is. Um, can he be a better hockey player for this club? Yes. Absolutely he can, and he should be. And he better be next year because that is a heck of a lot of money he's getting. But at the same time, how how helpful is it to keep beating the same horse? Yeah, and I mean, I think that's part of the reason why we've seen a quote from Jim Rutherford and we've heard Bruce Boudreaux downplay it. There's obviously an appetite for the team to not let it kind of turn into even more of a, a pylon and a discussion point uh, than it already has. In conversation with Gemma Carson-Smith here on Sportsnet 650. Next up, Bruce Boudreau. What are we going to hear from the coach today, Gemma? Our good friend Bruce. So the Canucks play 13 games in January, and 10 of those games are against teams that are either currently holding a playoff position or are a single point out of playoff position. 
Yesterday we talked to a number of guys after practice about how daunting that upcoming stretch is. Here's what the uh, coach had to say. We got Boudreaux there, guys. <laughs> the Islanders, Colorado, Winnipeg, Pittsburgh, T- uh, Florida, Tampa, Carolina, Tampa, Colorado, Edmonton. <laughs> That's, uh, it's not an easy task, but we've, the thing is we've beaten a lot of those teams already, and uh, we can beat them again if we're consistent. We play the, at the top of our game. The, the word he mentions there at the end. You know, we've heard the that Boudreaux spin of positivity a lot, right? Hey, we've beaten teams like this before. The word that sticks out to me there at the end is if we can be consistent because that has been kind of the defining thing lacking for the Canucks for so much of this season, Gemma. It, it was the theme of yesterday's uh, um, post-practice questions. The big C word, consistency. Can you be more consistent? Um, and everyone in the room said that they need to be. But the question still is, can they be? And I, I don't know. I think that the next 10 games will say a lot about whether or not they can be. Um, I've been saying for a while now that the Canucks are not making playoffs this year. And I think that this stretch will show whether I'm right or wrong. I'm pretty darn sure that I'm going to be right on this one. Yeah. With um, how, <laughs> how, how big do you view the game tonight? Because while the schedule is daunting, it does feel like this is almost – uh, the most winnable game that they play for the next three weeks is as you know damning with faint praise as that is yeah i I mean the other two games um the other uh, three games sorry uh in that thirteen game stretch are against the Florida Panthers who beat the Canucks five one at home last month the Sh- and then there's the Chicago Blackhawks and the Columbus Blue Jackets at the very mm. end of the month so yeah for, you're right for the next three weeks they're like there's a gauntlet and then there's this. Um, this is going to be really hard. And I think that if they start off with a loss, it's only going to get harder. Um, the competition obviously doesn't get any easier when Colorado comes in on Thursday. Yeah, Colorado is still mostly <laughs> made up of HL players. But Nathan McKinnon's back. And even with a, uh, a second-string roster, the Avs have been better than the Canucks, I think, truthfully. Um, so, yeah, I think that they need a strong performance tonight. I think that they need to win. Um, those last two games in Calgary and Winnipeg were probably quite deflating for this group um, just because they were winnable games. They were games that the team was in it at some point. And then to just see, once again, the same thing that we see pretty much every night with, the, with this club where they take a little snoozle and they come up with another L. Like, that's, it's frustrating for the team. It's frustrating for fans. And if it happens again tonight, I mean, it's not going to bode well for the next three weeks. We are officially two months away from the NHL trade deadline. And obviously, until that trade deadline comes or until he's traded, Bo Horvat is going to be a major, major talking point, his future with the team. I don't know if the quote from Horvat is about that specifically, but uh, tee us up for uh, what we're going to hear from the captain, Gemma. Jamie, he's not talking about that. <laughs> of course, of course. How silly of me. How silly. Um, Read the, the statement, he, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's two lines. Come on. Yeah. Um, but the other fun thing about January is that seven of these uh, 13 home games are going to take place here in Vancouver. And we all know that home ice has not exactly been an advantage for the next season. They're 7-9-1 at Rogers and 9-8-2 out on the roads. Um, here's... Bo Horvat talking before the game in Winnipeg last week about the difference in how the Canucks play on the road and at home. 
you know, our mindset's a little bit different on the road, and it shouldn't be. Um, I think, you know, I think we simplify our game a lot more uh, on the road, you know, not trying to force things or trying to, to score um, at will, I think. And I think we, we play a little bit more of a defensive game on the road. Again, we shouldn't be, but it just seems that way. And How important were those at the win against Seattle before Christmas, before the Christmas break, which, you know, was uh, phenomenal from an uh, entertainment standpoint with Elias Pettersson, obviously, and then the comfortable win against the Sharks on the other side of Christmas break. You know, two home wins coming after a string of really ugly home losses. And I'm not even talking from a standings perspective. How important are they, Gemma? But, I mean, how important is it for the Canucks just to put on a more entertaining product on a consistent basis for their paying fans? Crucial. I think it's crucial. I think fans um, were getting completely checked out on this team um, based in large part on the home game performances. Uh, we're seeing sell the team chance. Like that's not something you usually hear at home games halfway through the season, unless apparently you're in Vancouver. So yeah, I think it's, it's huge. I think that this team needs to find a way to win at home, not only for the standings, like you said, but for the fans. Um, I said before that this is a, a rabid fan base that is constantly clamoring for something, and they haven't got it this year. It's been a really disappointing um, stretch to come to the games. We've seen it uh, in the attendance. We've seen it in people booing. We've seen it in jerseys on the ice. And I think that if there's going to be any hope for salvaging something this season, even if it's not playoffs, even if it's just some some glimmer of hope for the future, they got to turn things around here at Rogers. Well, there just haven't even been many like exciting losses. You know what I mean? Like the, the five one yeah. thing became a bit of a meme and a joke, but then there was like three nothing to Minnesota. There's just been a lot of really deflating dispiriting, not very entertaining, you know, not even where like, oh, hey, they lost, but at least that was a an exciting 4-3 game and we got to see some really cool hockey. It's been just a lot of flat, pretty tough to enjoy games more than anything, Gemma. Yeah, it's been really fun to cover. <laughs> well, put, well put. Gemma, on this, on this sort of note, do you get the sense that the conversation – around this team has changed as a result of the show that we've seen from Bedard at the World Juniors? That's a great question. Um, I think so too. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) How good was that last night? Uh, We were watching it on the delay because we have a three-year-old who has to eat dinner at a certain time, and if she doesn't, she turns into a monster. And so I was like, completely off Twitter, not engaging. And once we watched it, I was just like, oh, my God, I need to talk about this. Because that was just, like, the most incredible overtime I've seen probably ever. Um, I was at the World Juniors in August and got to see Bedard um, up close and personal then. He, he's elevated since then. It's crazy. It's so freaking crazy. Like, he's just so good, guys. He's just so good. Um, I think that it would be, like, the highlight of – of drafts for years to come if uh, Vancouver somehow found a way to get Bedard. I think it's completely not going to happen. I'm trying to find a better way of saying that, but, I mean, it's just not going to happen. It would be to Vancouver for it. Like, it would be the most Vancouver thing ever for Vancouver to finish the season really poorly, be at the bottom of the rankings, and then lose the draft lottery. So, 
it just it, there's there's not going to be a Bedard in a Canucks uniform, I don't think, unless there's a major trade made. But wow. how cool would it be? Yeah, and just on the what the most Vancouver result would be, this somebody texted this in earlier. I forget the name now, but that because you can only jump up ten spots, right? Even if you win the lottery. So this texter said the most Canucks result would be for them to finish twelfth worst, win the lottery, and end up picking second, and still oh miss God. out on Connor Bedard. <laughs> That's so depressing, but like so Canucks, Ian. So. That it's just like, <laughs> and so where they're Canucks. sitting right now. They're, yeah, they're currently sitting in twenty fifth. So I don't know. I don't know. Hey, we'll five five percent chance right now, Gemma. Could be a lot worse. Hey, when it yeah, comes but... to the draft lottery, anything can there happen. You go. Oh, that's that's true. a point. That's that a point. That's true. All right, uh, final. I, I uh, see it. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, look, it would be. I don't think I said this earlier in the show. I don't think you can overstate how impactful it would be for the Canucks, right? Like a generational prospect who's also a super fan of your team. That's literally a once in a lifetime opportunity. You're not going to see that come around again. It would be an absolutely massive deal. But as you said, the odds of it happening, uh, very, very, very low. Final clip of the week from Quinn Hughes, Gemma. Uh, Preview uh, Quinn Hughes's quote for us here. Yes. So I really wanted to finish today on a high note, and we all know that's not always easy with this team. Let's give it a shot anyway. Um, Quinn Hughes scored, scored his first goal of the year in that 6-2 win over the Sharks last week. And Let's listen to his thoughts on uh, finally getting rid of that goose egg. Something that was weighing on my mind for sure the last couple games. Um, you know, obviously I want to produce and score. And some, you know, going into the season, I thought I was going to be able to um, score a bit more with the things I worked on this summer, so that was weighing on me, but... Um, it is what it is, and I've liked my game. Sometimes I just don't go in, and um, for me, I was just, you know, even if I didn't go till another 10 games I was scoring, if I kept playing the way I was, I was going to be happy with it. Yeah, I mean, it gives us an opportunity to end on a high note, and it really gave the players a chance to celebrate. I mean, you could see what kind of it meant to the rest of the team for uh, for Quinn Hughes to finally get that one. Exactly. That, that um, I've seen it memed a couple of times, the shot of him going back to the bench to celebrate is just some really quality memeage out there um they 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 really they everyone knows how much it was bugging him and i do not think he would have been happy with his game if he got another 10 without scoring he has been looking for that goal he was looking for that goal on that um uh shift and he, he just was was not going to let go of the puck until he got it and good for him um he's talked a few times now about how he expected to do more scoring the season after the work he put in over the summer. And I found that really interesting. He's really still trying to round out his game. Um, so good for him for uh, finally getting there. Gemma, with defensemen scoring, right? Like, we're, we're, we all talk often about, like, oh, you know, uh, defensemen, the scoring's almost a bonus, right? That's not their first job. But for Hughes, considering the role he plays on the power play, like, does this team need more from him goal-wise? I think it would be nice to get more from him goal-wise, but with that shot, I just don't know that it's ever going to be um, in terms... I don't think he, he's ever going to be a defenseman who's regularly putting up huge goals. Um, it's just not the kind of shot he has. He's still fifth on the team in scoring. He's still got 29 assists. Like mm. he's, he's almost a point-per-game player this season. It's, it's just that it, it's come on the assist side and not on the goal side. I don't. I'm not concerned about his production in any way, shape, or form. I'm just happy for a kid who finally got a goal. <laughs> I, I'm happy for him, but I was also kind of rooting for like an O and eighty four season. <laughs> 
<laughs> just You're 80 forces, zero goals. Just the, the wackiest, yeah, the wackiest stat line you could possibly imagine. I, I wouldn't have minded that either. Gemma, fantastic stuff as always. You brought the heat today. We'll chat next week. <laughs> Thanks so much, you guys. Have a great week. That is Gemma Carstens-Smith for the Canadian Press. Uh, always bringing the heat here when we talk to her every week. Minor Matt in Abbotsford says, hey, Gemma, that's, this has been the best hit of the year. Thanks for the laughs. Wow. I don't know if he's trying to be facetious damning there, damning with faint praise, but just considering it's well, our, dare you. the first hit of the year on the show. <laughs> <laughs> but, yes, I mean, he's technically true. But that was fantastic. That was great stuff from Gemma, as it absolutely always is with her. Final segment of the show, we'll talk about the game tonight, hear from Bruce Boudreau. Uh, read some of your texts as well. Last segment coming up. Canucks talk here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk, final segment of the day. First show of 2023. Thanks for listening. I hope everyone had a great holiday season and is having a happy new year so far. The Canucks, of course, will kick off 2023 against the New York Islanders tonight. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at Dunbar Lumber. Dot com Optional morning skate for the Canucks today. And, and an actual optional. Extremely, Canucks, extremely the, optional. The Canucks hold some optionals that are like, you know, optionals in name only. This was an actual optional. Yes, there was what? All of like 15-ish guys, yeah. maybe less on yeah. the ice for the Canucks. 15 skaters, two goalies, uh, yeah. a ton of the high-profile guys not there. Um, so we don't really know a ton about the Canucks lineup, right? Like that's one thing stemming out of this. What, what I'd note yeah. is I saw Stanika, Lane Peterson – um, stay out pretty late yes. among the forwards. Stanika, Stillman, and Burroughs were all out late, for sure. Yeah. Uh, so Yeah. With Stillman, Burroughs, though, they left at about the same time as Shen. So I, I would be, like, couching Kay. the evidence in terms, of, uh, in terms of defenders. But it feels like Lane Peterson and Stanika are probably the scratches up front. And... You know, we have yesterday's practice lines that we can kind of go off, but having said that, we've also seen Bruce Boudreaux roll out a certain configuration of practice day before a game, and then game day go with something that looks uh, completely different. So we will wait to see until warm-up today exactly how the Canucks are going to line up. What we can tell you, Spencer Martin expected to start, uh, and Ilya Sorokin is having a fantastic year for the New York Islanders, primed to be in the net at the other end. So a decided goaltending advantage for the New York Islanders tonight. Not a slight of, uh, of Spencer Martin, just a recognition of how good Ilya Sorokin has been for the aisle. I mean, overall, what are you expecting in this matchup, Transfer? Because, you know, the Islanders have been, they've been fine. They've been basically kind of a league average team, you know, on the playoff bubble, but not necessarily world beaters. What, what are you expecting to see out of this uh, out of this one tonight? The Adam Pellick injury is the one that looms large for me. Um, you know, he mm, you know materially changes the game for them. Uh, that is probably the smartest single defensive defenseman around at the moment. Like I feel like he's assumed the Nicholas Yalmerson mm. mantle and just isn't getting the credit for it because he's not playing on like a championship team. But but that's a big absence, and and so what we're what we're seeing Lane Lambert do for now anyway is like fatten the lines, right? Like Sezikis has been centering Barzil, yeah. Um, 
but but just generally, I mean, they've got Romanov playing on the top pair. They're a little bit soft, in my view, on the left side of the defense. Obviously, Pulak and Dobson give them a lot of push from the back end. They're able to play a pretty solid uh, team game. They're able to attack as a five-man unit in the way that I keep repeating. I, I just don't see from the Vancouver Canucks. Um, that, that fundamentally is going to be the biggest difference for me. Um, the Islanders can attack as a five-man unit from the back end in a, in a really cohesive way. The Canucks can't. That's going to give the Isles a pretty significant edge, uh, five on five. But Vancouver's got more firepower, period. Vancouver has more firepower, um, and the Islanders have the edge in net and probably at five on five. So really tough stretch, obviously, for the Canucks begins tonight. But um, the Islanders are not a wilting violet. This is a very, very difficult opponent uh, that they're facing and, and a team that I think is, you know, probably should be favored tonight, to be totally honest with you. Probably not by a lot. But they should be like I I would view the Canucks as underdogs this evening. Yeah, it should be. I mean, I'm I'm pulling up playnow.com right now. Uh, if the uh, if the Wi-Fi here at Rogers Arena <laughs> cooperates with me, I'll I'll have it momentarily. But it's the kind of thing where because the Canucks are at home, it shouldn't be overwhelming. But yeah, I mean, I would probably. I'd expect uh, the Canucks to be something like plus one ten, plus one twenty. Yeah, exactly. We'll wait uh, with with bated breath here. <laughs> As it says, loading, 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 loading wow. to see what we get. Just fantastic. We're killing Fantastic it. sports radio uh, right now. And, of course, I mean, we, I, we should also mention, like, a chance to see what Matt Barzell can do uh, playing back in his hometown. It's pure pick'em. Against pick his hometown team. Pure pick'em. Pure pick'em. There yep. you go. Minus 110. So there you go. So basically right on the money. Uh, either team, neither team favored tonight by playnow.com. Uh, let's hear it from Coach Bruce Boudreau. As we said, not a lot to tell oh, about. And, his... and please enjoy the. Yes. Uh, and please enjoy me baiting Bruce Boudreau into complimenting Connor Bedard toward the end of this clip. <laughs> uh, with that in mind, here is Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreau. Well, I expect uh, a really tough game. I mean, uh, I watch them a lot, and uh, it's. Uh, if they don't have a very good game the one night, they always come out and have a good game the next night. And uh, they're a work ethic team to start off with. So uh, I remember last year they had a bad game in Calgary, and they came into our building and they scored five in the first ten minutes. So we better be prepared for them. What makes Arzal so effective for him, Bruce, aside from his speed and skill? Well, I think speed and skill pretty well <laughs> says it all. But I mean in uh, terms of defending him, I mean through the neutral zone. Well, I mean, he's just so fast. I mean, when he's got the puck and he's and he's feeling it, I mean, he can get through the the neutral zone really quick. And he he always brings two guys on him. So when you, that's why he gets a lot of assists because when there's always somebody open when he's when he's going at full full speed. You told us that you were hoping to have some news with Thatcher come January and hopefully to get him on the ice. What's his status? Is, is he he skated this morning, so that was really good. I mean, but just no equipment or nothing. But uh, he skated this morning, and he felt pretty good. He's hoping to uh, at least put the equipment on, hoping, um, before this week is out. What's it? Uh, Pearson, um, again, same, same thing, skated with pucks, shooting pucks today. So he's getting closer. We're hoping um, that he can make the road, both of them that can make the road trip with us. So that'll be a, that would be a big boost if that could happen. Expect to get him some work in Abbotsford, Thatcher. That is before he steps in, or you'll, you'll take him on the road. I uh, will take him on the road, but I, you know, I mean, there's some guys that I think sometimes need work down there. I don't think Thatcher's a guy if if he has a few good practices. And I mean, we're not anticipating him back 
within a week or anything. But, I mean, uh, he'd be the kind of guy I would think. It's not my decision. But uh, that uh, would be able to step in after a couple of good practices, I would think. You follow the NFL fairly closely, Bruce. Did you see the DeMar uh, yep. hit last night? Mm-hmm. What did you make of it? Some of your players talked about it this morning in terms of uh, how shocking it was. Well, it's shocking, and it's like, I mean, I think they made totally the right call. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, not the play. I mean, you're looking at some of them, their best friend, lying there not knowing what's happening. It would be hard for me to get myself back into the game. So I'm glad they did it. I mean, uh the safety of players and everything in any sport is still the most paramount thing. You know, it's a game, and we love to play the game and compete, but we don't want anybody hurt. And the NHL is not immune. In other words, Pronger or Fisher or Bollmeister, there have been cardiac incidents. The, yeah. So these guys can't change the way they play, right, Bruce? I mean, no. It's a contact sport, and there's an element of danger. There is an element of danger, and everybody knows the element of danger when we step into the game. I mean, and I don't think uh, if you... If you were worried about the danger, everybody would still want to play because they love the game. Lost a couple of games here in a row. Just um, that you've got such a challenging schedule. How important is it that you kind of get some points here and not let it get away from you? Man? Well, we don't want it to get away for sure. I mean, it's uh, it is a challenging schedule, but it's a to me it's an exciting schedule. Like I mean, uh, I try to look at it as if we come away on top. You know, then you know you can compete against every team in the league and. And it would make the last couple months uh, a real exciting portion of the season for us. So it's if you look at it with fear, then you're you know you're going to sit there and you're going to uh, uh, it won't be good. But if you look at it as a, a great challenge, and and uh, I think uh, it'll be it'll be exciting. I'm, I'm hoping for the positives, and and uh, again, um, not looking at it as I'm afraid of it. I'm looking at it as embracing it and saying let's go and let's. Let's uh, make this a positive reaction for us. Did you see the Canada game yesterday? Well, I saw the one highlight that counted, I guess. So. <laughs> You've worked with some of the most lethal offensive players in the history of the sport as, as a coach. When you see a, a top player elevate their game with the chips being down, what, what does that mean to you as someone who's worked with talent? It, it means, you know, those are the guys that – they want uh, everything on their shoulders. They want to be the guy, and they go out and prove that they want to be the guy. And uh, I have seen it a lot. And whether I played with them or watched uh, uh, Gretzky a lot and played with Alex or coached Alex and Perry and Getzlaff and these guys, and, and they want all the pressure on them. And this, guy, this young man looks like he's that kind of guy as well. So it's, uh, uh, I, think, I think hockey's really uh, got their future uh, laid out with superstars, and it's uh, that's a great thing to see for the game. So fair to say, you're you're a fan. Well, yeah, <laughs> I, 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 yeah. Uh, no, I'm a fan. There is Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreau confirming Boudreau with the knowing. Yeah, stop it, man. I'm not giving you the soundbite. As if the uh, <laughs> as if the trans laugh doesn't feature enough on the show. It's stuck in there in the Boudreau availability as well. <laughs> a little fishing expedition. We, we we had a good laugh after the fact too. Like uh, <laughs> it was uh, it was good fun. I, how could you not? How could you not be a fan? How could you not be a fan? It's uh, incredible. I want to see more. <laughs> I'm, I'm not convinced yet. This is ludicrous. What we're seeing right now is ludicrous. He's so by far the best player on the ice every time. Uh, he steps on the ice against an age group like this is a U twenty tournament and he's seventeen. You know he's draft year, yeah. draft year player. So I don't know that he's seventeen anymore, but he's in his age seventeen season. 
I mean, it's ridiculous. It is truly ridiculous. And the thing that's cracking me up as well about Connor Bedard is, you know, he's on this record breaking tear, right? And especially the last couple of games, he's broken a ton of records. And every time they show like, oh, he set this new record, it's always beating like Eric Lindros and Wayne Gretzky and Yarmer Yager, like absolute, not just like, oh, that guy was a really good NHL player. Like that guy was one of the best prospects of all time and then went on to have a Hall of Fame caliber career in the NHL. It's really phenomenal. Still a lot of work to do for Bedard if he's gonna if he's gonna do the Forsberg though. Yes. The Forsberg record is the one. That's the next one. And it's what? He's, he's 10 points back, I believe. Seven. Seven? Isn't okay. He? Does, how many does he have? 22? I thought he had 21. Okay, then he's 10 points back. It's yeah. 31's the. And that's two games, so I think Forsberg can sleep. Uh, Pretty well. Yeah. Uh, as somebody points out, he doesn't turn 18 until July. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> so he's like a late birthday in his draft year. <laughs> Wow. Uh, is, it's it's really we, incredible. You know, we just haven't seen anything like this, and we definitely haven't seen anything like this out of Western Canada. Like, no. that's that's this isn't just a Vancouver thing. We haven't seen a prospect like this out of Western Canada. And granted, we only see a prospect like this every 10 years. Yeah, frankly. really. I mean, so Crosby was 05, McDavid was 2015, and now Bedard 2023. So, like, roughly a 10-year kind of Every decade gap. or yeah. so, right? And, and, I mean, Lindros would be before... Crosby, yep, and and honestly, probably Lemieux before that. I mean, that's the caliber of prospect we're talking about. This is, you know, rarefied air of the truest sort. And guy honed his craft shooting pucks in his backyard in Lynn Valley, right? Uh, just outrageous. It's uh, it's remarkable. It's an amazing story. And you know what? As the prospect tournament or the prospect game, the NHL top prospect game, which will feature Connor Bedard in addition to Winnipeg Ice forward Zach Benson, who's mm-hmm. out of Abbotsford and will, you know, be on the fringes of being a top 10 pick this year. You know, this is a wild time for skill development in this city, right? Connor Bedard's sort of the headliner, but, I mean, Ken Johnson's outrageous. Yeah. Like, he's an incredible prospect. Another guy, uh, Matthew Wood, right, out of uh, yep. out of the province, who's going to be like a fringe top 10 pick, could be higher than that, right? Doing yep. great things at the NCAA, but, playing but I'm the talking, PCHL. I'm talking Vancouver. Sure, sure. Specifically, right? Like Vancouver and, and the Valley, like the outlying yeah. areas, right? Like this city, because the province has often had great sure. players. And Vancouver has often had great players, but you think about the last generation of, of really great Vancouver players, right? Uh, you know, and, and so, so Korea and Sakic were obviously like late 80s you know, early '90s prospects, mm-hmm. um, and then since that, the guys coming out of the city were kind of like you know great players. Don't get me wrong, Milan Lucic, Brandon Gallagher, uh, Evander Kane. You know, but we're talking more like go to the net hard, right? Like go to the net hard, and they're skilled players, but but fundamentally they're they're net crashing guys. And all of a sudden, this new era of Canucks player, and we're going to see one of them, or no, Canucks player, uh, we wish, uh, Vancouver-born <laughs> players. Uh, we're going to see one tonight. Matthew Barzell sort of like the harbinger of this next generation where they're just outrageous skilled players. We'll obviously see, uh, see Coquitlam's, the pride of Coquitlam, yep. Matt Barzell play tonight at Rogers Arena, a building he often plays pretty well in for good reason. Um, you know, since that, it's been... These, these guys who are, like, incredibly high-skilled players, extremely fast in this generation of these guys, you know, and, and then you're going to have another guy who's poised to be at the top of the draft order in 2024 in Macklin Celebrini. I mean, this is, you know, the, the most productive period 
of player development out of our city, um, you know, in its hockey history, a uh, hundred years of hockey history. And it's like this, this next group is going to be incredible. Like they already are incredible. And, and as we watch them go through their NHL careers, I think it's going to be a story to watch uh, the contrast with the hopelessness of the NHL team locally. Right. And the just burgeoning, overflowing talent pipeline coming out of the city could not be starker. Bedard, and this is this is going to sound a little ridiculous, but because, look, he's 17, and I understand he's got a lot to do at the NHL level and all that, but it got me thinking, has the best player in the world ever been from Vancouver? Was there ever a time where you would say, and I, I mean Vancouver and the surrounding area, like no. maybe Joe Sackick? No. 01, 01 Joe Sackick wins the Hart Trophy? No. That's probably the best... That's closest, probably the closest. But no. I mean, no one at that time takes Joe Sackick over, I mean, honestly, a healthy Peter Forsberg. Yeah. To be totally honest with you, right? Like, um, you know, Mario Lemieux was back. Didn't he have like 190 points that season? Well, no, not that. But he had a really, I mean, yeah, he had a phenomenal uh he had a phenomenal season when he came back, for sure, but it wasn't quite that but phenomenal. But, like, you know, it was uh, it was probably, I mean, Joe Sackick's absolute prime. We're probably talking about, you know, Yager. Yager is probably the guy. Yager. In that time frame. Um, maybe Jerome Ginla. Yeah. You know, um, Peter Forsberg. And then, and then we sort of get into that kind of like Marty St. Louis has this little run and, you yeah. know. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think I don't think we ever I don't feel like Joe Sackick was ever talked about as being the best in the world. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe yeah. I'm misremembering well, I think, that. I think no, I think it was He was like the ultimate winner. You know, like there's yeah. a difference between like being this guy who's like a great winner, a great player, a great two way guy. You know, like Joe Sackick, I feel like until the late nineties was Mr. Underrated. <laughs> like he, sure, but what he, I mean, so this would be... They win the Cup in 96, and then for the next five years, people are saying Joe Sackick's super underrated. Yeah, but I think when he pops, and he has 118 points in 2000-2001, he's 31, and, and he kind of adds that, oh, he has this elite offensive season on top of, you know, what you're talking about with the he's the ultimate winner, then the next year following that, obviously, he's a part of the uh, 2002 Salt Lake team that wins the gold medal. I think there's maybe a moment there. Yeah. Where where you're talking yourself into it, no, but no. it's brief. It's a brief moment. But what's that line? What's the line? The, what's the line you remember from the 2002 team? It's Korea, Aginla, Lemieux. Yes, and it's Lemieux who sets up that that goal between the legs, right? And Lemieux's comeback. Like I think Lemieux was the best player in terms of how we talked about the game. Personally, yep. you know, Joe Sakic was like a great player. No, you're right. Like, you're probably right. That was the that was the closest moment in time I could come up with where yeah. you could say a Vancouver area product is the best player in the world. And again, I'm not Connor Bedard's got a long way to go. But, a long way to go. But yeah. guy hasn't played an NHL game. Guy hasn't played the NHL game. But I'm just <laughs> saying, you run off the 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 list of kind of guys with this pedigree. They frequently ascend to that level. They all pretty much ascend to that level. Doesn't mean it's a guarantee. No. But that's the kind of upside you're talking about. Well, that's the, the upside you're talking the about. The really great players, the really great players, they're famous at 15 in this sport. Mm -hmm. You know? And Connor Bedard checks that box. Right? Like, he was 14 playing U18 hockey and, like, absolutely dominating against a bunch of guys who were two years older than him and also went on to go in the top 10 in the NHL draft. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. it was... It was ludicrous. Who's the guy that Buffalo Sabres took him? 
prospect, Winnipeg Ice. That guy. I'd have to look, but yeah. Anyway, um, I don't know why the name escapes me. I feel so silly. Um, but yeah, I mean, those those sorts of players were playing, you know, in his um, in his U18 league, and he was, like, by far the leading scorer at <laughs> 14. Yeah, look, there's obviously never any guarantees in this, but he's doing everything you could possibly ask to to paint that sort of picture of his upside. When, there's nothing there's there's not a single box he hasn't checked. Once he started dominating at the U18 level uh, as a 14-year-old. That was my first season back in Vancouver covering the team and I started to, you know, hear from my contacts like you, you tracking this? You following this kid? And um that was when that was when his name sort of first started ringing in my ears w- within the industry. Like within Vancouver hockey watching circles, people were like, "Okay, this is wild because what happens with guys like prodigies, right? Like true prodigies in this sport is, you know, you get extraordinary status to play in a U18 level at 14. Mm-hmm. And people are like, well, we'll see how he holds up. And then he destroyed it. Yeah. Right. And then, and then you go through the WHL process, right? This guy's applying for, they've never done it before. You know, I think he's going to get it. Okay. So then he, you know, gets picked by this Regina team that's not very good. And the WHL season's, like, scrapped, right? And they're going to play 20 games in a bubble. And everyone's saying, like, oh, well, we'll see how he holds up against bigger players. And then he comes out and he's the best player in the league in the bubble, yeah. right? And and then, oh, well, we'll see how he does, you know, at the U20 level, right? We'll see, we'll see how he holds up. Like, he might not even make the World Junior team. This was last year. Might not even make the World Junior team. He, he's sort of had a slow start here. And then he steps on the ice with the Hockey Canada people, and they're like, this guy's unbelievable. What are we what are we talking about? We can't ding him for being in a bad situation in Regina. This is a star player. And he lights the world on fire and then doesn't stop. He hasn't stopped since. But this is the story of Connor Bedard, right? Every time he moves up to these levels, like he keeps getting these tasks, these unreasonable tasks put in front of him, right? And, and there's question marks. Can he handle it? How will he handle it? Will he perform well? Guess what? He's just special. He's just special. So people can say all they want. You know, we can put all the qualifiers we want. Like, oh, well, we'll see how he holds up in the NHL. You know, we'll see. We'll see how. This is what this guy does. Yeah. He gets put in these situations. It's unreasonable to expect much of him. And he destroys, lays waste. And, And you know what the best part about it is? He does it with humility. Okay. He does it with fundamental skill. Right. And he outworks everybody. Like. That that's he's obviously a gifted athlete, but that shot's not a coincidence. Like, oh my gosh! That shot's not a coincidence. No, that's an incredible work of technique and and honing your craft and all of that. And like, timing. There's a rhythm to it. There, it, it's it's inimitable. And it's a guy who watched a ton of YouTube videos, watched a ton of hockey, loves the game, and then was like, "I'm gonna try that," and then mastered it, and then mastered it from weird angles. Like this guy's. Just wild. Just where, incredible. This is impossible to answer off the top of your head, but, like, where would his shot rank in the NHL right now? Top 10. 100%. Like no, he, like, no question. Like, there's no doubt about it. He is a lethal sniper, NHL-level like, sniper but like, already. But, like, with space and time, right? Like, we're talking, sure. like, like, in a practice situation uh, against set goaltenders because, obviously, the conversation's different when it comes to getting it off working to get open, right? Like a guy like Kyle Connor, what makes Kyle Connor such an elite shooter, yeah. how he gets open, that's the stuff that he's going to have to figure out. But he's going to. 
He's just going to. Uh, we got to wrap. I raised the question of has the best player in the world ever been from Vancouver? Chet and Burnaby says, Cyclone Taylor is not amused, <laughs> Jamie. Uh, we got to go today. Enjoy the game against the Islanders. Happy New Year. We're back tomorrow. It is Canucks Talk. Sportsnet 650.